Listen, listen, listen. This is the Black Country Blokes Tune of Facts about everything that is mental health. Now, we're not experts, but we are experienced, so we're encouraging you to share your experience because every experience is worth sharing. So please be part of the conversation. Listen, listen, listen. Abin, yeah, this is Black, uh, <laughs> the Black Country Blokes Tune of Facts about everything that is mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, Lee Cadman. And today we're joined by the brilliant Rav and Michelle from Talk, Dudley's Talking Therapies. So thank you both for coming on. Thank you for having us. Hello. Now we're going to get into their story and what their wonderful organisation does with therapy and all the brilliance of they do. But as always, we're going to start with our gratitude list. Because as always, I think remind ourselves what we're grateful for is such an overlooked skill. We can always find something that's gone wrong, but sometimes we have to remind ourselves what's going right. And on that note, we had a, a boxing show on Sunday Lions, first boxing show in three years through the madness. And there's quite a few things that went wrong, wasn't there, Lee? There was. There was, there was a long list. <laughs> but things that could go wrong. Like this radio show, Kev, wasn't it? <laughs> it's funny enough wherever I am. <laughs> but for all the things that went wrong, what I was overwhelmed with happens was the amount of people that come out and supported the club. The people whose bouts fell through and stayed to support the lads. The wonderful coaches like yourself, Jay, Josh, Simon, Big John and Dad who run around warming them up, keeping the guys calm. Um, obviously, my mum and Auntie Leslie on the door, my doorman, Quinton and Chad. The other coaches, because um, without the other coaches, the other boxers, a show can't happen. Without the officials, and the officials get such a bad role. Without the officials, amateur boxing can't happen. And what I was really grateful for is the, the people, the boys, the girls and the seniors who lost on the weekend, on Sunday, they were back in the gym on Monday. And sometimes, you know, when we lose, especially in a a sport like boxing, you have to go and lick your wounds. And I was so proud of my team. When they did lose, they were going around putting their arms ready. Going, you know, I've lost and don't worry. And it was that loving thing that people don't often see about boxing. So I'm grateful for the team we've got around us. Lee, what are you grateful for, bruv? A good night's sleep. <laughs> have you had one yet? Or? I did on Monday, actually. Um well, my the, the my uh, daughter's PA was was well. We were on day, then then she was on day, then ill with COVID. So it's been a few weeks that we haven't had a PA, and it really made me appreciate the work that they they do more than more than what it usually does. Um, and sometimes I don't think you realise how much you need that break of even if it is um, one night a month, how much you need that that break to yourself just to get a good night's sleep. Yeah, Rav, what are you grateful for? Um, I'm grateful, firstly, for the opportunity to to be here today and to talk about a cause that and, and causes that I think are, are really important and deserve a lot more awareness. And I'm along that same line. I'm I'm really grateful for something like Mental Health Awareness Week, which I think does really well to kind of broaden access to these talking points again and and make sure that they kind of remain quite a high point on the agenda, which I think is is really good and really useful. Because I think through the pandemic, and I say this a lot, whether you hadn't suffered from mental health mm-hmm. and you thought it was a load of cod swallop and a load of nonsense and we had a taste of it, mm-hmm. even the most tough and stricken person felt what loneliness was, what anxiety was, what am I doing the right thing by going to work? Am I doing the right thing by not seeing my mum? Because my mum's lonely, mm-hmm. but if I go and see her, 
oh my so we had so many different fractions to it yeah. and if you did suffer you're throwing petrol on already very angry for you yeah definitely and i think kind of having that very much um forced period of downtime as well kind of allows things to kind of come out of the woodwork right and and i think as a society we've been, become quite good at avoiding things we're we're living in a world where we can get anything we want on a 24 7 basis and can block out any thoughts in our mind just by watching something on netflix or youtube and and being able to be wherever we want at any given time and i think to have that taken away from us and sort of have to sit with our thoughts for a bit was was quite a challenge so i don't think it's a surprise that that things like that sort of happened really did you think like you know when you're watching programs you like seeing people at the airport or travel programs boxing events and i was thinking i wonder if we're ever going to get back to that did you ever feel like that um i i think it was definitely a concern at some point i think that's that's part of um the sort of scary aspect of it isn't it it was the fact that a lot of it was was so unknown um and we didn't know which way it was going to turn with the pandemic um but i'm also grateful that we've we've seen we've seemed to kind of make real strides in terms of tackling it and progressing with the way we handle it and thank goodness for that and michelle what are you grateful for I was going to say Mental Health Awareness Week as well, but Ravi stole it. You uh, could both be grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't yeah. own it. It's not his week. <laughs> but I am really grateful that we get that opportunity for for everybody to start having it as part of their vocabulary. Mm. So, you know, that opportunity to talk, to share, and kind of being forced to do that a little bit by having it so public. So, yeah, that's mine. Because we said, I said... I wanted some good things to come out of the pandemic and I thought the acceptance and the awareness of mental health and illness and like whatever way you want to say it. But what I'm frightened of is we've all accepted that it's there. We all know it's a problem, but you don't want it to just become one of them throw around sayings. You don't want it to become the new migraine. I've got a headache. I've got a migraine. No, you've got a headache. It might even be a bad headache, but it's not a migraine. Yeah. And I see it so much. And he sees, oh, I've got OCD. Oh, I did a washing up. I've got OCD. No, you had, you're a bit of a clean freak. You're taken away from a very debilitating illness. And I don't want it to yeah. become like that. No, that, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people developed anxiety for the first time in the in the pandemic. And that was the first time that they'd they've kind of understood what other people who have lived with anxiety disorders have gone through for, you know, for years in some cases. So I'm hoping that that people have a new understanding about what mental health might actually feel like and we stop using words in a throwaway kind of a way, you know. A, a bit more compassion, isn't it? If Absolutely. you've been through it yourself, you tend to have that bit more compassion. You, you can empathise, can't mm. you? you? You kind of know what it feels like to some extent, definitely. Yeah. And I think there's a massive difference between being nervous and being anxious, like having anxiety, like me. I've always said nerves have pushed me through the door. If I have to have a deep breath, that's it through the door. Nerves have catapulted me through life. But anxiety, yeah. I could be sat there watching Pocahontas with me daughter and anxiety attack will happen, and it's an irrational fear, and I feel like I'm having a stroke. It's that shrickening. Yeah. It's not like we're going to get burgled, the line's going to come. You've got to be nervous to go on your toes to save your family. It's just that undescribable fear yeah. with no reason. That, that That's the scariest thing, isn't it, about anxiety, when it's that free-floating, there doesn't seem to be a reason for it, and it's mm. just that automated response that your body's going through. 
can't kind of put our fingers on why it's happening. But you're right, everybody needs a level of anxiety. It's not something we, we'd want to do away with completely because we wouldn't be safe. We'd walk out in front of buses. We need a little bit of, of, of something keeping us safe. It's when it becomes uncontrollable, isn't it? And it, it's debilitating, gets in the way of your living life like you would want to. So, yeah, but I, I do think more people understand what that feels like now, particularly with, you know, not being able to go out, being worried about infecting friends and family and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And when we think about it, but obviously mental illness has been out there forever and a day. Yeah. But if we go closer to home with the pandemic, because, and I, I talk to so many people, non-believers and believers and vaccinators, non-vaccinators, and each of them are calling each other idiots because they haven't got the same belief as them. Yeah. But when it first happened, I don't know anyone who wasn't worried because it was the end of the world. It was the plague. And when it first happened, I remember... My boxing club shut a little bit up before everyone else. My dad was at the Olympic qualifiers for boxing and they stopped the Olympics. And I went, if they're stopping the Olympics, this is something serious. So we shut down the club. And then a few days later, I went to my daughter's school and it was a raining day. And the headmaster stood on the bench and says, we're not coming back to school. And, we don't. and I thought, this is the end of the world. This is almost biblical. Yeah. And then when my wife was going shopping, she was doing my wife's uh, our shopping, my neighbour shopping, my mother-in-law shopping, mum and dad shopping. She was going out and almost bleaching herself on the door. And I, it was so, it was only a year and a half ago, but it almost seems like a, a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It does. And the state of frantic, um, frantic and worry that we were seeing everywhere, we were putting on the, on the news 24 times an hour to see what we're missing... And that has a mental effect on us, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a huge impact. And and I think there's almost that element of kind of not being able to separate from it, mm. which I think has been has been quite tricky in terms of even if you weren't out there living it and, and maybe braving a trip to the supermarket and seeing everyone in the mask, you were seeing all of it on the news and mm. almost like a reoccurring trauma that you can't really move away from which I think was was quite a difficult and challenging thing for everyone. And I think sometimes, like, we've, as you say, like, normally you have a rare with your partner. Then in the real world, you have buffers. You go on the bus. You go to the gym. You, you're always talking to different people. So, but when you're locked in the house with that person, you're pulling each of his hair out. <laughs> or, or you've got to talk, it's like my wife would go, tell me something. I went, I haven't left this house. The only person I've seen is you the baby and the cat <laughs> you know what I mean I, I'll be watching Harry Potter or Peppa Pig you know I've got anything to say and I think as you were saying like that someone once explained to me it was another therapist our brain doesn't know what's real and what isn't real so if it's I'm going to go on the radio today but how about if I trip over and break the mic how about if I can't get up to space how about so I, my brain is just going through stress all the time and it doesn't know what has been real is real so it's giving me the worst out outcomes all the time and i think when you're locked in your house with fear misery death and the plague we catastrophize it don't we uh, definitely i mean yeah we, we go from one hypothetical worry to another it's that what if and then it, it kind of catapults and becomes something huge and end of world like and and yeah a lot of us went through that in the pandemic but for some people it was you, you said like you know not having those buffers 
for some people they lost all of their coping strategies mm. when the pandemic hit because they couldn't go out they couldn't go and see their friends the things that they used to do in order to keep themselves mentally well had been taken away from them we weren't even allowed to go and sit in the park were we you know mm. we couldn't even get any green space um and that made people really really unwell quite quickly that's when crisis levels seem to ramp up quite quick and then for other people it was a great thing lockdown was really good for their mental health because it was for mine yeah you didn't have to go out you didn't have to socialize well it wasn't really about that is um my daughter was on the shielding list right. um and and for years for my job i've traveled up and down the country and and not been home as as often as i'd like so yeah after the after the initial kind of fright of it because ultimately if she got it we she'd have been in in, in deep deep trouble at that point mm. um after the initial getting over that part of it um i just enjoyed family time at home it was fantastic enjoyed being around my, my children in around my wife and it, yeah it was really settling and great and i think we'd had a really bad 2018 with my daughter and and that was very immediate you know she was in a coma it was in in your face kind yeah. of immediate whereas although covid was there and it was scary it wasn't to that point for me you know so it's it almost i don't want to say lesser because people were, were dying but it was almost easier because you could we could protect her we just stay at home it was nice and easy you know yeah. so it kind of it, for me definitely helped and it helped my own mental health so yeah. there, there is positives in it isn't there there is you there were in, yeah you could definitely find some positives mm. as well yeah and i think like it's like when you're on holiday you're going you know what when i get back I'm not gonna smell. I'm not gonna sweat the small stuff. I'm. I'm gonna see my friends. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start playing the guitar again. I'm gonna paint. <laughs> I'm gonna see Pat from over. As soon as you got back on the motorway, you're back to your old self. Yeah. You're back in the rat race, and the problem is with the rat race, we're surrounded by rats nipping and biting at your tail, and we've got to remind ourselves just because they're rats doesn't mean we've got to be. Try and keep some of the good habits that we've learned from that, and bring it into this new world. Yeah, good point. Well, let's go to a few songs. And we're back with Michelle and Rav. So, why them songs? Uh, well, I think for me that one's just a, a nice, peppy, quite upbeat song. But it's got a really important message about kind of realising that it's okay to be you and it's okay to to be who you want to be and you don't need to be like everyone else. And actually, if you stick around, I think things are going to be okay, which I think is a really, oh. a really positive message. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And I know we didn't get the Rod Smith song, but... Um... <laughs> Why did you pick the one you wanted to pick and we changed it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one I picked, um, please, please, please. Um, it, there's a gorgeous line at the beginning of it. It says, I haven't had a dream in a long time. Mm. And it's, I just think it's such an amazing line. Um, and uh, for me, I think it's that's mental health in a in a kind of sentence, really, for some people. You know, it's that inability to experience things, to feel things. Um, I just love it. I love that song. I think it's beautiful. Now, you're coming from Dudley Talking Therapies. Yeah. So can you tell us about what it is? Yeah, so Do uh, Dudley Talking Therapies, we are the IAPT service. So IAPT stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. And that was an initiative that was set up to make accessing mental health services easier for the vast majority of the population so um, we work with adults people aged over 16 who are not in full-time education um, and we work with people who are experiencing kind of common 
um, mental health conditions, things like depression, anxiety disorders, social phobias, um, OCD and trauma. Um, you can refer yourselves to us directly or you can go through your GP um, or through your health visitor, that, that kind of pathway. And, and we offer a range of, of therapies. Um, so the most common one that we use is something called cognitive behavioural therapy. But we've also got counselling, um, interpersonal therapy, lots of group support. So yeah, so that, that's us, that's what we do. So could you explain what those different types of therapies are, like from counselling? What does counselling offer? Do you want me to do counselling? Yeah. Yeah, so our counselling um, service is is really there for people who have experienced um, a, a kind of life event, a change, that they're struggling to process. Mm. So it can be around loss, not not just death and bereavement, but other forms of loss, relational things or... Um, you know loss of sense of self that kind of experience um, and, and really our counselling team work with people who are depressed predominantly rather than anxious I think like we've, we've lost we feel like it has to be a bereavement it has no. to be and it, it can be as, as trivial as I love that hamster that hamster is my best friend and yeah. every day I come in or that houseman if it means a lot to you and it is taken away from you yeah. then that is loss, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's such a shame when we compare loss. Well, I miss Gizmo, but he's lost his daughter. Well, who am I to complain about? He's lost his blooming daughter and I've only lost Gizmo. If you Gizmo... go further than that, though, can't it, Kev? When bands have broke up, people have experienced yeah. that feeling of, of loss. And, and to some people, you'd think, well, that's that's just silly, that's nonsense. But if you're that, that involved and that committed to that that band it is like a loss isn't it or that match that boxing tournament whatever it is if it means to you and it's taken away from you you have the right to feel bad don't you you do yeah you do you don't have to measure it against somebody else's experiences at all um and if it's impacting on you living the life that you want to live then get support for it you know don't don't be worried about it being too trivial or not important enough uh, you know, we, we see people who have, have lost their jobs or have lost their marriages or um, pe- people who've lost their parents, you know, 15 years ago mm. and it's still impactful and all of that stuff matters. So, yeah. And as I say, I think like, what we've learned over here is you're worth helping. Yeah. And what we're saying off here is so many people are willing to help people, but they don't accept the help for themselves because it's almost like they're not worth it and... Well, I don't want to bother you. And that's what I hear all the time is, well, Lee, you're so-and-so. Why didn't you phone me? I didn't want to bother you. Well, as long as I'm willing to help, or as long as I wanted to pick up the phone or a text message or an email or a, however kids message each other, yeah. as, long as, the commun- as long as the conversation's going, keep it going because you're worth helping as well. I think not being afraid to start those conversations as well. I think, again, we, we all spoke about uh, mental health awareness week earlier on and, and the theme this year is loneliness and i know we've spoken a lot already about the about the pandemic and its effects and and i think it's about also not being afraid to open up those conversations if you're concerned about a friend or a loved one yeah. and and just asking those questions and not and not being afraid to to have those discussions i think the the loneliness theme is great as well because loneliness is is not about how many people are around you is it it's about the feeling that's inside you so we could be sitting in this room with 300 people it'd be crowded it'd be rammed 
but you still could be lonely within that room mm. yeah very much that that's that's really true and I, I sometimes think loneliness is something that people don't think is important enough to bother other people about mm. um but it really is it's really impactful isn't it I think what you said there, Lee, as you say, you could be in a crowded room and still feel lonely. Yeah. It, and I think this is where counselling and different therapies can help you because they can find who you're comfortable being around or just being comfortable with yourself. That, that self-love, that trivial thing that we is thrown around and love, you love yourself, you're worth it, but it's easier to do. I'm looking at this particular time, I actually like Kev Dillon, but it's taken me a lifetime to get to this point yeah. and I've only done it by asking for help going for counselling therapy NLP all these things because I think sometimes me and Lee can chat to the fat but sometimes it's to, me personally as Kevin Dillon if I'm going to have my hair cut I don't go to my gardener sometimes I want a professional to do that job yeah. sometimes an old pal can get me through the, the dark room sometimes I need a professional beaker I think sometimes you need it as well to realise what is going on because you try and explain loneliness to someone and again they'll say they'll, they think it's about how many people are within a room and mm. sometimes you need a, a therapist a counsellor to actually stop you and go well actually this is what you're experiencing yeah. so you yeah. give the symptoms kind of like you would with a doctor if you had uh, I don't know you, you, you thought he's coming down with flu you give the symptoms then he, they diagnose you um, because you, you, you're not a doctor and you're not aware of everything that, it, that you know everything that's out there that could be affecting you. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think it, it's about. I've got to say though, it's still a, very much a collaborative journey though. In terms of, I think therapy is not about kind of going and having someone tell you all the answers. It's a, yeah. it's kind of a joint voyage of, of discovery. That sounds like a very cheesy term, I know, but <laughs> it's it's it is about sort of a, a journey in partnership and, and two people kind of walking down a path together and 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 seeing what they find and and hope and and sort of ending up in a better place as a, as a result of that. And you've got to be on a journey together because there's no point doing anything. We said this off, uh, off air earlier. If you're going to go without the 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 willing power to actually listen and do your part, there's no point going. No point yeah. coming to my gym and saying, well, my dad teaches me how to do this. Stick with your dad. If you're going to a professional, at least try to take it in. Yeah. I think we hear sometimes, you know, when people are living with things like depression, for example, that they really struggle with motivation energy mm. levels that that can be really debilitating mm. and then just getting started can be really difficult but i think if you've got the, the the right kind of mindset the idea that even tiny little steps <laughs> towards making changes is going to be enough uh, and you know just doing what you can do that day doesn't matter how small it is um then you'll do well in therapy you know it's with depression i mean i've been there and sometimes you're just sitting in your own filth and getting up the stairs to brush your teeth. Yeah. You've like climbing up Mount Everest. Yeah. And I, I found it different times with the lockdown. When I had my daughter there, I had to get up, get clean, get her ready. But when she was going to school and then bits, when I still wasn't at the gym because the gym wasn't open, I'd get her ready, get her to, and then I'd wallow until she'd come back. Yeah. Then you put your daddy mask back on. Yeah. And that's what we do, isn't it? We... The great thing about people who've got mental illness is we know where to perform. You know, we know where to... So your nearest and dearest don't know what's going on. And then when they've gone, the mask comes off and we crumble. Uh, but but that can also be a benefit because, you you know, putting that 
daddy mask on so mm. that you can perform and function you do the same thing when you're in therapy but but you kind of act as if you mm. act as if you've got some motivation as if you've got some energy you fake it till you make it yeah and actually you know that's a really good transferable skill um so yeah it, it can work in your benefit as well and counseling and we said this sometimes you might not get along with your counselor your whoever yeah that's okay it is don't give up with everything because you haven't gelled with that person no try it again 100 percent. it's a it's a highly subjective um sort of thing to be working with i mean therapy is as much of an art as it is a science i think yeah. and you might as you said not always find the right person that you gel with but that's not a sign that you should sort of give up just because it doesn't work the first time there are so many different variables at play that it's worth giving it another go and seeing if there's another therapist or counselor out there that that you might gel with a bit more it's almost like kind of people in friends in our daily lives right yeah. in terms of we, we we can't get on with everyone that we meet which is sometimes a real shame but but in a way that's also kind of the beauty of life um in a and that's another cheesy phrase i don't know whether they're all coming out now um but even like that with relationships some people are yeah. so scarred by a relationship they're too fronted to get into another one yeah yeah and that can be the same with a therapist and it's it's being brave enough to give it another go isn't it and and i think yeah. it's it's important to acknowledge as well that as, as part of therapy you are sort of making yourself vulnerable and and mm -hmm. even though you're not always talking about you know sort of the deep and dark past and and some therapies like cbt are very much usually rooted in the here and now and discussing what the future is going to look like for you and steps we can make forward yeah. um it still does involve talking about things that you wouldn't ordinarily talk about and you have to be comfortable as as part of that process and like you said we're kind of not comfortable in front of everyone yeah. and we're not comfortable doing everything so it's about finding that kind of right match really and cbt yeah. i mean what what's that stand for uh cbt stands for cognitive behavioral therapy and what kind of thing i know it's a, a, a not throwing you into the bush but what's a a, a quick <laughs> thing i'm going to anyway yeah but, <laughs> but like, what kind of thing like to someone who doesn't understand it what does it entail so cognitive behavioral therapy and i'm um <laughs> i will issue a disclaimer at this point i am a trainee um so uh here's my shot at, at trying to explain it um yeah, at 10, don't worry. yeah exactly <laughs> i do have clinical supervision tomorrow so i'm sure i'll um i'll hear back um but cognitive behavioral therapy essentially uh states that things happen in our lives which trigger certain thoughts within us typically which then go on to evoke uh, certain feelings and uh, physical sensations as well mm. and we res we respond behaviorally in accordance to those and cbt we can use a, a variety of different different techniques to both work on the cognitive side of it so the things that are going on in our mind and the thoughts we have and the more behavioral aspect of, as well so the things that we do in response that can sometimes make things a little bit worse in terms of how we respond to these sensations that we're experiencing yeah seeing and feeling the triggers ha yeah yeah how, how was that that was that was pretty good okay. yeah that <laughs> out of 10 what would you give him i'd, I'd give that a nine yeah okay. really could have done better though one. <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> no it, it's exactly that it's um cbt helps helps people to recognize when they're caught up in these cycles of mm 
unhelpful thinking, unhelpful behaviours, and then teaches you ways of changing that, making change. It's it's difficult. It's a difficult therapy to be to be in. I've been doing this for ages with Kevin. Positive thinking, and I can. It's paying off though. If you've got any jobs going. <laughs> but we we were saying about like the triggers, and we was, I was saying about music because yeah. music's so impactful. Mm-hmm. And I say, me, if I know I'm going down the rabbit hole of, oh, that remind that song reminds me of so and so's funeral, or that reminds me of an aggressive situation I've been in. Then I goes, Kev change the record yeah. but as you were saying you rather you just ride that emotion out I do yeah I, I kind of embrace it actually um, I think sometimes I actively seek it out because I, I you know when you recognise that something's not quite right and you need that outpouring of something mm. I, I'm quite happy to go with the sad music or the you know the repetitive TV programme something that's familiar to me but also is going to evoke some emotion now would you that being said, do you find that as a, a more of a female? Like uh, women are more inclined yeah. to have a cry. Where I, I always say I'm right, Titty Babby. I, 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 <laughs> my, my wife's always telling me off. Like I'll be sat there and I'll, I'll be blubbering. She goes, "Put yourself together." <laughs> I, I've got no yeah. thing with like having a cry in front of everyone, but it's a very novel thing for a man to do. Whereas women can do it very comfortably. They'll just have a crying night. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I think mostly women are more comfortable with that expression of emotion for the most part there are still some women who who aren't and and don't want to to kind of show it and then there are there are some men who are very very comfortable being emotional um you know it's it's second nature they they respond to it well and they're they're good at being emotional but I, i think one of the things i've noticed working with men obviously i'm not a man but in working with men shame plays a massive part mm. in, in kind of men's mental health more so than i think with women women are, are kind of they feel less guilty about suffering or having distress and men feel shame um as though they're failing or they've they've let people down they're not performing as men should and, and that for me is one of the biggest differences I, d- I do wonder whether the tide will turn with women on that to the other way as well because a lot of um young ladies uh, and and teenagers are growing up now in a world with social media where you're looking at these pictures and they're not showing there's not the emotion there in there or not you know you don't very often see it's all perfect isn't it and and, yeah. and not only a, a, a well men and women teenagers are looking at these and trying to look like them they're also seeing how they behave and how they look and that they're happy all the time that they're not showing a sad emotion and is that going to start paying uh, causing a problem for them in the future that's a good point yeah we, we're filtering life aren't we through instagram filters and lenses and and you only show the best bits of your day and and um i don't know i think women young women now though that they're they're gobbier they've got more um confidence and it's brilliant i'm loving um i I wish i was a younger woman uh nowadays because i think that they've got much more of a voice um and i think that's rubbing off on on younger men um i think younger men are recognizing that it's it's okay to just be themselves and to have a feeling and to express it and, and not be judged for it um, that's uh, when I did talking therapies. That was one of the the questions that the the therapist was asking me. How does that make you feel? And I can never answer that question. It's really, really. Yeah. I could. 
I could I could answer it logically, um, but I couldn't actually tell you how that uh, the, what had happened made me feel. And I think it's great that, but that's years of me bottling it up, isn't it? I think it's great now that hopefully the future generation will be able to explain that how they are feeling. So can I just mean to so someone like Lee and they say, oh, "How does that make you feel?" And <laughs> how how would you fire that back at him? You know if it. Is that a common thing? Because how many people we've talked to in our groups and on the air and on the podcast, I don't know how I feel unless it's angry, tired or hungry. You know? Yeah, I mean, most of us can recognise those core emotions. You know, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm, I'm tired, um, or physical feeling. But I think one of the ways I explain to clients who really struggle, I've got something, um, some really useful tools and we've got a, a really useful emotions wheel that breaks... It breaks it down. I knew you were going to say that. I love it. I love it. I use it all the time. But it's really helpful. Um, and it helps to recognise that under those core emotions, like anger, for example, which um, is a distasteful emotion. People don't like to be told that they're angry, right? Mm. We, we, we get really defensive and, and, and annoyed when that happens. But actually, what's, what could be going on is that what you're feeling is shame. Yeah. Uh, what you're feeling is just profound sadness yeah. and it's manifesting itself as anger. So it's, it's helping people to understand that you can go deeper, but you can do it step by step, level by level. Um, and you're not defined by that. It's just a feeling that you're having in that moment. It doesn't make you an angry person. It doesn't mean that you're aggressive. They're different things. So so I, I really like that as a tool. And that's what I would do. And also, I was kind of laughing a little bit when you said, how does that make you feel? Because a good CBT therapist will never ask you that yeah. question. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's not a good question. Yeah, because nothing can make you feel something. Yeah. And I think like what you said then, like the breakdown of anger, it's like, well, and I have so many people come to be going, well, I'm here because I've got an, an aggression problem. I've got anger. And I went, but anger isn't a pure emotion. It's, if someone does something, he's embarrassed me. He's made me sad. He's upset me. He's made me feel vulnerable. It's, it's many different yeah. feelings that builds up to it. Anger's just the gun that fires, isn't it? It's just the umbrella term, isn't mm -hmm. it? It's, it's just an easy way to explain it to, to everybody around us. I'm angry. But actually, it, it's, there's so much more going on. Um, and, it, and it's worth exploring what that other stuff is. Cause, yeah. I'd love this being taught at primary school level, though I would. It's one of our dreams to have this. Because I think my daughter's uh, six years old. Mm. And I'm constantly talking to her about empathy and we do our gratitude list and surround different people. And if someone's upset, what do you do? And if someone. That isn't taught empathy. And, and I think if we had someone coming in saying, why are you angry? Why are you crying? Why. Because by the time we, a lot of us have got into therapy, counselling, we're grown-ups, and we've had a lifetime of these habits. It's easy to create a habit. It's very difficult to break a habit. Yeah. So if I, can, I think if we could be teaching these children how to form a habit at a young age, they've got a better chance of having a better form life. Yeah. How, how would you do that? What, what would you kind of want to see in schools, do you think? Is it kind of like, like we did the gratitude thing at the beginning... Is it something like that at the start of a school day? Or? When, whenever I take my daughters to bed around boxing, we do our gratitude list. Yeah. Three things at least. And we sit there and I make up a story and we go, what are you grateful for? And it could be my teddies, you, mommy, yeah. people. And every night we have to remind ourselves of that in the day. And at least once a day we do that. But if we could do something like that, yeah. remind ourselves it hasn't got to be 
winning the lottery, but then having maybe a school counsellor, and once, I don't know, being a week or for a month, or a term, one people is going to go and see them and just have an independent chat. And then also having, let's not call it a mental health first aid as a well-being oftenness, but teaching like the year, like the year above them as a bit of a mentor yeah. where you can go and talk. Then having public speakers come in. And it hasn't got to be old so-and-sos of our, yeah, we can go to have life experience, but have the local football team hero, the local boxer, the lo- someone who they will respect on their level and say, I was offered drugs, I did drugs, I went to prison, I did, and it didn't make me happy. Yeah. Because how many people we've talked about here, and you get their nose, I got into drug dealing, I got into going to prison, I got into, because I saw the lads around me, or the girls around me doing it, and I thought that's what I had to do, to be a success. But then when you learn on the job, or you have a good mentor saying, I did that, and now look at me now. Lived experience is the best kind of knowledge, and I think by sharing experience, we can give it out. So it's not like an after, say by the bell, after school, school special. <laughs> have real lived experience, and I think if we could do this as children, they'll grow into happy teenagers and happy adults. Yeah, they, they seem to do a little bit of that at primary school level. In, in my experience, I've got three kids, and my eldest is. 26 now so kind of has gone through all the schooling system mm. but my littlest one is is just 10 and at primary school level they do the the kind of you know the bench in the playground so if somebody's feeling lonely or sad they can sit on it and then others can can go and kind of see that if they're okay and so that they're checking out that they're, they're doing all right but then when they move up to secondary school it all stops mm. and it, there doesn't seem that focus there. I don't think it'd work in secondary school in that. I mean, no. singling yourself out to go and sit on a bench because you're lonely <laughs> yeah. is, you know, um, I think that's where the conversation's got to kind of change that. Yeah. Um, like Kev said, if there's someone there who, who can offer peer support, who's there, who, who's gone through the previous year's school and, and you can talk to those people in a more private manner, but you know they're there, yeah. um, potentially could work. Because I think a lot of it is, and I, I predict this will happen soon, it'll be, I'm feeling sad, so I'm feeling sad, badge on, I'm feeling anxious, and it's a, it's a tick boxing exercise, everyone will go, oh my goodness, why haven't we thought about this? Next thing you know, that kid's getting bullied. Mm-hmm. Because I've literally put a badge on and saying, come on, bully me, I'm feeling sad and vulnerable. Yeah. So we have to change the narrative of, I'm going to bully him, to... How would that make me feel yeah. if that happened? Give them the tools because a lot falls on teachers. And this really is the job of mummy and daddy or the guardians, the nanny and granddads. But how are they supposed to teach you if they were never taught it? Mm-hmm. Everything's easy if you know the answer. So if they can't do it, we need someone else to step in. Yeah. I think that's the, that's really interesting kind of place to touch on in that I think societally there's been a huge shift i know that um it's not that long since i was at school for uh, for the listeners i am very very young no, I'm, only, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not that young I'm, I'm, I'm 30 um and so even though i wasn't at school that long ago the system has already changed massively and i think um 
alongside that the dialogue that we have around mental health has also shifted hugely um i think iapt is also a key part of that in terms of just broadening access to people and making those conversations a bit more available um and making them a bit more open and then i think that filters down through the population i think like you said it, it sort of allows everyone else to know that those conversations are okay and that they can be had and that we can talk about our emotions i leave like at the boxing gym we've got a, a papyrus there and it, it's there and you rip a couple off and it's but i never heard of papyrus no. until and this is a child suicide mm-hmm. and but why isn't that i think like, with your guys and why aren't they advertising this on the TV. It's a little slogan every so often after the news or after... Because kids don't watch the TV anymore, Kev. Or they're, not on a, a, they're not old school. Or on YouTube. <laughs> or, 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 on YouTube. TikTok. Our, our friend at Ripple, um, uh, her brother completed suicide. So she started this thing called Ripple. So it's, yeah. if you type in suicide, you're more likely to find a way of doing it than ways it's not to do it. Yeah. And that narrative's got to change. So we've got to be having things pop up on a, a TikTok or whatever it is. Things I have no idea about. <laughs> Popping up saying... If you are having a wobble, you can email, you can text, and that should be everywhere. Whatever the social media is or the TV, if you're in distress, there is help. And that's the reason why we started this, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All them years ago, because there's so many blooming great people and organisations, but we're not told about them. Yeah, and also, I mean, my personal start, because I didn't want my son to go through what I went through without feeling he could speak up about it. So if I speak up about it now, hopefully he realises that there's nothing wrong at all with speaking yeah. up if you're struggling with your mental health. Yeah. I think that's also the interesting thing about people coming into therapy, right? We often see that it's the result of lots of trauma stemming from way back from their parents' parents through to their parents yeah. through to them. And by them taking the step of coming into therapy, they're making a change. Breaking the cycle. Breaking the cycle. Yeah. But as we said, uh, I've said on air off you're going to have a PT, you're going to have a dietitian, mm-hmm. you're going to have a haircut, you have a. But we won't treat ourselves to a therapist at that mental physio. And I think sometimes, like with blokes once again, my back's going, my back's going, my back's going. It's not until my back's gone that I'll go to a physio or chiropractor. Yeah. And it's the same. I'm not well, I'm not. It's until I have a full blown meltdown or wobble. That I have to go, we should start seeing the uh, the the key signs and going. No, I'm going to go and get myself better before I get myself worse. I'm, I'm wondering if, and um, maybe this is me kind of um, seeing a sunny side up view of this, but I'm wondering if throughout that entire time, there's almost an, an element of hope there in yeah. terms of I can fix this, I can fix this, I can do it on my own, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it until there's maybe this realization that actually maybe I can't. Hope's I think maybe the, sorry. I think hope's one of the greatest things on the planet, but when it's taken away from you, it can be one of the worst things in the planet. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's also about that realization that actually it's 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 okay to seek help, mm-hmm. and and we don't actually have to do all these things on our on our own. And and as the creatures that we are, we're kind of social beings, and and we're not de- we're not designed to just live life solitarily. If that's a word, is that a word? I think yeah. that's a word. It could also be that, it is you, now. that you're um, you're pre preempting the result, and yeah. obviously, no, you don't want to hear the bad news, do you? Kind yeah. of thing, and it's the same again with with why men probably don't visit the doctors as much as they yeah. the, the can. Mm-hmm. They, they don't really want to hear that they're ill. 
Well, every time I go to the doctors, he tells me I'm ill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to go more often, Kim. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. I run the, um, well, I co-facilitate the social anxiety group. And one of the first sessions we ask for hopes and fears, what people are hoping to get from it, but also what they're worried about. Mm. And every single time it's, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. What if mm. this is my last chance? I've, I've tried everything else. What if this doesn't work? What if I don't get better? And that's a big, big vulnerability. You know, you're exposing yourself to to something really difficult. And then what if it doesn't make any difference? So, yeah, it's, it's hard. The flip side to that calling is, but how about if it does? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and that's what we say. What if it does? Mm. Yeah. Even if it's only by a small margin. Yeah. And I think that small margin, as you said earlier, a little bit of good is brilliant when you've got none at all. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like Colin Will. Lee, should we go to a few songs, old Paul? And we're back. The Black Country Blokes doing the fat on our home of Black Country Extra. And we're sitting with Michelle and Rav from Dudley Talking Therapies. So, why did you pick them songs? What songs and why did you pick them? Even though you didn't really pick them. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, you did pick the last one. I, I, I did pick... Um, Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel um, I think it treads that line really beautifully between being a really sad song but with a really positive sentiment behind it in terms of being there for other people but it can be in the right circumstances quite gut-wrenchingly sad to listen to um, but Simon and Garfunkel in general also both amazing artists um, and listened to them a lot growing up so it definitely had to include a pick by them and Lana Del Rey, how yeah. come? So I, I picked Lana Del Rey. Just, I, I love her voice, firstly. And um, when she first came onto the scene, I remember she did a live concert and was just absolutely slated in the press for not being able to sing. And um, thinking about how that might have affected her mental health, actually, pretty badly, I'd have thought. Um, but she can, she can sing. She's got a beautiful voice. And her songs are just, again, really evocative, um, a bit like the Smiths. I think some people, you know, heard the same ones. Say what you mean, but don't say it mean. And we all have on this yeah. banner of, well, it's free speech, free speech. And I, it's always that idiot in the pub going, well, it's only banter. No, you're being rude. You're being obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> Banter's where we're all having a laugh. And I think yeah. some people are just vile for the sake of being vile. Can I just say, I think there's a T-shirt in that. I think I think you could design a T-shirt that says "Say what you mean, but don't say it mean." I'd buy that. Well, we I have mean, to we have yeah. to see who uh, Kev rocked that quote off. Really. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a copyright issue there. I, I didn't say my deal, but I just said it. <laughs> but yeah, good quote. But it is, isn't it? And I think like some people and how nasty people can be, especially on the the social medias. I always think if you're not brave enough to say it to his face, then don't say it at all. And yeah. back in the day, there was a consequence. If you said that in the pub, there was going to be a consequence to the actions. Yeah. And people used to get brave on the telephone. Oh, yeah, and what be? <laughs> but now, you can write whatever you want, and you haven't even got to say, on Kev Dillon from the Black Country. No. And I you think, didn't even need to say that you're Kev Dillon. There's no. a whole amount of anonymity, anonymity rather, in on social networks as well, that we know has kind of helped with a lot of... Um, these behaviours in terms of people being able to hide a bit more effectively. Yeah. Would you agree that I mean, that's got to stop? Would you agree that people shouldn't be able to hide behind the caption? Or mm. I think I think like anything, it's a bit of a 
bit of a double-edged sword i think in even though in in some cases it's allowed people to to get away with things that they generally wouldn't be able to get away with i think it also provides a great deal of safety for some people to say things that they really do need to say and need some outlet for i think it's it's very much a double-edged sword and I, I know that's a very sort of sit, sit on the fence diplomatic answer, but I, I think no, that's the I, truth. I of agree. It. I, I would I would go with that sit on the fence kind of answer as well. I think, yeah, it really does provide a platform for people to spew hate and and kind of awfulness. But equally, I know that probably back when I was when I had mental health issues and and was you know really struggling. I think an anonymous kind of support forum mm. would have been something I would have accessed if if <laughs> if I wasn't really old and the internet I wasn't on dial up and <laughs> like four days. Um, so yeah, there's pros and cons to everything, isn't there? But I, I do think we need better regulation. I think that's what I would kind of lobby for. But if there's like a mental health forum, yeah, or uh, an abuse forum, or different forums where I don't want to say my name, I don't want to tell you my gender and all that but i want to get help and it is preserved in a a caring loving thing if someone then is vile on there they're kicked off i agree with you haven't got to air your dirty washing because in case you see them in the supermarket i agree with that but i think if you're on let's call it a, a twitter or a facebook or one of these things where you control people then i think you've got to stand up and face the consequence in my opinion yeah yeah, I can I can see where you're where you're going with that. I think the danger is that that sort of thing becomes a little bit maybe sort of gate kept. Though in terms of do people who want to talk about mental health issues necessarily want to do that in a mental health labelled community? I think a lot of the yeah, particularly given that we're again in Mental Health Week, a lot of this is about broadening discussions and 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 almost flattening those boundaries and making sure that we can have these discussions in any forum Mm. Uh, yeah i think we've also got a choice just like the people have got a choice to be mean and nasty on there you have a choice not to read what they put on there to block those people yeah to you know so you can balance it out out yourself and um and i think sometimes uh, seeing these the words ripped down you realize what kind of person that is yeah so you you know you're seeing into their soul just a bit so you 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 know who to ignore but i think it's different for maybe us from Morden rather we're only a little bit older than him but it's we weren't brought up with that kind of bullying or that kind of world Mm. the bullying finished at school the bullying finished and i think it's so easy and i I find myself saying oh just ignore them put it there and put it it must be so hard to ignore them if that's the world they're from yeah. And I feel like they're missing out on something. That's it's like, like you were saying earlier, you know, we don't switch off anymore, do we? Mm-hmm. Our phones are constantly on. We've always, we're always contactable. And if, and if you're going through a bad time or, or if you're kind of being victimised or bullied by somebody and, and they can access you, you know, at two o'clock in the morning mm. via your mobile or your iPad or whatever, then, yeah, that, that's really, really hard. I'm a I'm a big fan of blocking people. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to cut in, but I also yeah. believe that actually bullying didn't stop at school. No. It, it, there's yeah. there's a lot of workplace bullying oh, yes. going on and going on. So did it, you know? No, it, but I mean it it stayed at that venue. It it stayed there, but it went home with the victim. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. But they, they weren't, as you say, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. 
Nino or Nino being nasty. Easy, was it? it no. wasn't as easy to carry on being cruel and spiteful. You had to wait till the next day when they, they came back into school or... Mm. Yeah. Mm. And bullying's never nice in any form. You know what I mean? I was bullied as a child. And it sticks with you. It sticks with you. And I know some people who've... It's almost overcome it and owned the situation. I know people who... They never got over it. Yeah. And it's broke them from a young age, an adult age. And as Lee rightly said, it doesn't just happen at school. It happens in workplaces, in gyms, in relationships. Yeah. Sometimes, and we think of a relationship as being uh, you and uh, your partner, but it could be the relationship with uh, your parents, your grandparents, your guardians. Mm -hmm. Bullying can happen anywhere at any time. Yeah. We're never too old to be bullied. You know what I mean? And that's the disgraceful thing. But once again, with mental health, we've... It takes courage to ask for help, but it takes just as much courage, if not more, to accept the help. Mm -hmm. And it is scary when you've got to reach out, but it's worth it in the end if you get the right people around you. And that brings me on to like your social anxiety. And when you're frightened of um, being in public, or it's, it's horrible, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, like I was saying to you a little bit earlier, so I'm really passionate about social anxiety, social phobia, because it's something I experienced. Um, not long after I'd had my first child, I was I was quite young. I was um, just turned 19 when I had my first son, and I remember feeling just incredibly overwhelmed by that whole experience. I was living in Birmingham. I'm not I'm not from Birmingham originally. I was living in Birmingham in a high rise. I didn't know anybody, had my partner, but I, I looked very young as well. So I felt very judged mm. and there was something really difficult about kind of coping with that. And it, it got so bad that I just didn't go out. I, I literally stayed in my flat for, for several months, actually. I, I didn't leave um, and I had CBT. So the CBT I had was a little bit different to what we do nowadays. It was probably quite quite early in its um it's kind of creation in the UK, but uh, we did something called flooding uh, and you would be encouraged to expose yourself to your feared events. So kind of getting out of the house as, as often as you could. We don't really do that anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard. It's a hard thing to live with. And it, it's it's still really prevalent. Lots of people in this country are socially anxious. Um, people who would have been shy, called shy at school, will often go on to become socially anxious adults yeah and i think after the last couple of years i think uh, uh, uh social anxiety and germophobia mm. will be massive in the younger generation yeah and, and yeah kind of leading on from that you've got the, the the ocd um the clients as well who who've really struggled actually particularly contamination ocd um with the pandemic that that's really contributed to some people becoming much more poorly than they would otherwise have done um and yeah and, and the social element of that as well you know not wanting to be around people in case they they make you unwell or you make them unwell sometimes mm -hmm. that's the fear that you're gonna you're gonna be the person that causes them harm um yeah did you find the flooding technique work for you at the time or would you think you've moved on a long way from then um, I'm glad we've moved on from it because it mm. was very distressing. Um, mm. The the idea was was we we still do it to some extent, but we do it in a kind of hierarchical way now. So it's you know we we build up to it. So a bit like those little steps I was talking about earlier. Mm. Whereas when I had CBT, it was you know get outside. Um, it, sorry to cut in. You know, it yeah, almost so. seems like the the man up 
way you, you know, yeah. kind of, just get, get on with it, get, get out of the house, you're shoving anxiety, get out I there into it and the get it done. The science was still there. The idea was that, so the, the kind of bit of the brain, this bit in your brain called the amygdala that, that only learns by association. So you have to do something for it to learn. And the theory was, is, is you know, if you expose yourself to your fear and you realise that you don't die, then the amygdala learns that and it will hold on to that memory. So that works, but the amount of distress that you go through in order to do that, it's very, very high. So we, we do the same thing now, but we, we do it in a kinder way. Um, and we, we kind of work up to the, the big fear, if that makes sense. So you get the same Take result. Take it in stages. Mm. Yeah, same result, but a kind of process. Because <laughs> I don't know if we were saying off air uh, earlier, but like our mind does that, doesn't it? We, we um, catastrophize everything. How about if I can't get a car space? How about if I can't find the toilet? How about if I spill yeah. a drink? And our brain is unaware of what is real and what isn't. So before you know it, I've had 10, 20, 100 different traumatic experiences before we've ever left the house. Yeah. So my brain is already in a state of fear. Yeah, that, and that's anxiety kind of, you know, personified. That That's what it is. It's, it's the idea that... A perceived threat often it's not even a real thing most of the time it's this perception of threat and it becomes real in our minds to the point that it stops us from from living um and one worry will always become another worry um yeah that the, the problem solving bit of our brain doesn't work with hypothetical worries unfortunately so you know if you, if you say what if your, your brain tries to kind of answer it but it can't because there's no answer that there's a million answers it, it can only work with the practical worries that's why if the car breaks down we can do something really practical about that we don't tend to get into a flap we, we just deal with it but if you worry that the car's going to break down you go through a thousand different scenarios well i can't get to work i'm going to lose my job i won't be able to pay the bills i won't be able to pay the mortgage i'll lose the house my wife will leave me etc etc so yeah, that's kind of how it works. That's a great way of explaining it. That we're, we're good, at, and I know, I'm, I'm very much like that. If it's if it's broke, I can fix it. But the yeah. fear of it breaking, yeah. I'll lose sleep over it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you never find the answer, do you? It doesn't matter how much time you spend worrying about that hypothetical problem, you never find the answer because half the time it doesn't happen. Mm. The thing that we fear doesn't <laughs> happen anyway. And if it does, then we just fix it because we're practically minded and we can do it. We've got the tools to do it. Well, we always laugh about that, don't we, Lee, on the podcast? <laughs> Next time I'll see him, right, I'm going to say this, and he's going to say that, and I'm going to do And you go for all these scenarios, and you're in jail, and he and, and walks past and goes, all right, mate, here's the baby. And you go, that's the one thing I didn't plan on him saying. He, yeah. well, but we've got ourselves in that state of frenzy yeah. for something that probably isn't going to happen anyway, and something does happen. We've got the tools to deal with it. We have, yeah. We're, we're much more resilient and equipped than we give ourselves credit for, yeah. But often, I mean, like, we either find the antidote or the poison, but I think a lot of us, we often, we fall back on the thing that we've survived with, be it the drink, the drugs, the gambling, the whatever it is. And you used to work in substance abuse, didn't you, Rav? Yeah, I did. Um, several years ago, doing doing a s several different roles in substance misuse. And I, I think, like you said, uh, for many people, it's often the solution that they find to something rather than the original issue. And it's it's a way of coping 
um but then obviously we know the way these substances work a lot of the time it's it's often not the most helpful way um of coping with whatever's going on for them and i think it's not just the person you have to look after when they're going through their their struggles it's the the family around them because well what do i do do i cut them off turn my back on them or do i enable them by helping them through and it's it's that constant pull and tug and pull and you think what is the right thing to do and it's so difficult yeah uh, like you said there i think a a tug of war is a brilliant way of 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 describing it in terms of it's a constant battle of knowing what you should and shouldn't do and and i think obviously something that we're we're continuously coming across is that it's it's sort of the views of people around us that we kind of hold most dear right and that we want to do our best by and so it can be really difficult um to kind of choose the right path and i think that's when a lot of those worries that you were kind of speaking about also creep in there are so many different potential courses of action as well that it kind of almost can feel like it's spiraling out of control in terms of knowing which one to choose to make the most people happy in one moment and it's difficult and especially when you're so close to it when it's a client or a stranger it's very easy to judge or very easy to step away but it's when it's your own loved ones it's very difficult because it is putting on the heartstrings isn't it and i think like and i try and explain this um to people don't be judgmental when you see someone in the streets and they're begging or they're mm-hmm. on drugs or drink i have never met a drug addict or alcoholic whose life ambition was to be robbing and to be hooked on something you don't know the catalyst that sent them down that path. And I think most of us are, I'm, I'm definitely mad enough to me. You're one thing away from hitting rock bottom. And we don't necessarily know what that'll be. But when you eat there, it's amazing how to have a turn on you. So don't be so judgmental. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Everyone's got a story. Yeah. And, and it doesn't yeah. matter who it is, whether it's um, someone asking for, for money on the street, whether it's mm. the CEO of a company. Yeah. Everyone's got a story, but we, we don't know what that story is and, mm. until you have that kind of dialogue. And so I think you're right. I, I think a really important thing is to try and suspend that judgment if you can. And, yeah. and again, like we said earlier, have those discussions. I think the great thing is, though, that everyone does have a story, but everyone can also change their future story mm-hmm. you know you can mm-hmm. cha- you have the option no matter how low you are or how high you are yeah. there's always a choice which which is the great thing about choice to change things yeah. Yeah. um and having the strength to do that and realizing you can do that is one of the greatest things you can you can realize and i think i think you used a really important word of choice there and i think it's important to also recognize and, and acknowledge that that can be a scary thing right mm-hmm. it can be a really scary thing to go hang on a minute i'm in the driver's seat with this and i can do something with it well, it makes you responsible doesn't it exactly mm. but i think there's also an element of beauty in that in terms of okay yeah you are in the driving seat and you we can go to wherever you want to go with this mm. yeah and i think as a passenger on the journey if you are someone's loved one or whatever you've also got a duty of care to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're not safe in that car, you've got to look after yourself. And if it's not right, get out the car. Uh, and, and I think, I know you're kind of focusing on the, the, the drug and alcohol aspect of this, but that's true for a lot of mental health oh, presentations yes. as well, isn't it? That So y- your loved ones, if you, if you live with somebody who's got a mental health condition, mm-hmm. you can 
fall into the trap of enabling them. Yes. Mm. So if you live with somebody who's got social phobia, for example, you can do everything for them. And then you're kind of colluding. You're keeping that problem going. If you live with somebody who's got OCD, you can buy them all the cleaning materials or, Mm. you know, make their lives easier. But actually, is it helping? Yeah. All, all with the best intentions, of course, of course. right? It's, it's all designed it's to... Love, yeah, because yeah. we, we think we're helping out and, and lessening someone's suffering. Yeah. What did I say to you earlier? And I, I said, you know, I do, some people don't want to be helped. They're almost, they're comfortably in misery and you said it was something else. Yeah, we kind of say in therapy, we say that there are secondary gains, that there's probably something else going on that, that means that being invested in the current state you know there's a payoff there's a reason that they're doing it and sometimes that's because it's all they know Mm. and to move away from that is really scary what if it's worse so we're back to that hypothetical you know what if what if things aren't better um and we actually have the saying for that don't we the grass is isn't always greener on the other side absolutely yeah but i think what you've got to realize is you you don't actually know that until you take that jump you don't. It, it's a. It, you've got to be quite brave, haven't you, mm. to to start the process in the first place, and see where it takes you. Because yeah, you you could just stay in it. Some some people do that. Some people stay in it forever, because it's it's what they know. And how about if I change, and I have no friends? Or yeah. how about if I change, I change all these things, and I don't like the new me. Yeah. And you know, and then I'm not only the new me, I'm on my own. And that, that's quite frightening when you put it like that, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. It is. It's a bra- it is a brave thing. I think most people who come into therapy are really brave. They're doing it for those reasons, yeah. I mean, do you... I mean, I'm changing the subject now because it's Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. And a lot of people say... Um, some people go, well, we don't need a blooming day. We don't need a blooming d- a week to talk about it. But, and in some ways, I agree. But in a voice, I think... But by having these days, these weeks, these memes, these pictures, these videos come out, and hopefully it can start a conversation. Yeah, exactly that. And I think that's the big thing. If we're talking about it, like with suicide, by talking about suicide, you're not going to go, Blumenick, that's a great idea, I'm going to go and kill myself. But if we're talking about it, I can ask you the question, you might go, you noticed. And because you've noticed, now I might not do it. So I think if we can talk about it more openly, frequently, with our friends, our loved ones, we might be able to stop a catastrophe. Because suicide is a pandemic that we can stop. 100%. I think, I suppose, technically for for us, every week is Mental Health Awareness Week, right? We we sort of live and breathe it because it's, it's our jobs, not only our jobs, but also... A topic that we care about and and it's a passionate um, area of conversation for us and I think it's really important as part of that to have weeks like this where we can broaden that subject out. I think it's important for everyone to be part of Mm. of that conversation because we've all got mental health and, and potentially mental illness and it's important just in the way that we continue to look after our bodies that we also continue to look after our minds. I think you're right there and I think we also, with the... With mental health, we have to stop seeing it as a a, um, a negative because if yeah. so, it's always oh I've got ill mental health, but actually it doesn't mental health doesn't mean that does it? It just me- mental health can be can be good and bad. There's yeah. two sides to it, and it needs to be and it needs to be addressed. That when you say mental health, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got poor mental health. Maybe we need to kind of 
call it mental well-being yeah. instead or something you know because like like ravi said we've all got it just like we've all got physical health it, it's you know it's not a separate part of us and it needs attending to in the same way that our physical selves do if you don't look after yourself from a physical perspective you know that things are going to kind of start to deteriorate and your mind's the same so yeah and i think it is the shift the pair is starting to shift over where it's it's no longer if i've got mental health i'm the local psycho i'm the village nutter i'm the local madman yeah. and we're moving away from those words yeah and how many parents i know and they've they've become mentally unwell and they're petrified that the neighbors are going to know and their children can be taken away and then they're going to and that's horrible, isn't it? Like the postnatal or just anything. Yeah. And you go for it, you catastrophize again. Well, it, I can't tell the doctor because they will take and then I'll lose my job. And, and you're thinking, but I think slowly but surely the tides are shifting on it. But we've got to have people once again from in your industry, in different industries, to people who've been through the system personally. Yeah. And then saying it's not as scary as you think. At the time, it's petrifying, but. You can get through it, and these people may or may not be able to, but if they can't, there's someone else for you. Yeah. I think, I think like you said, slowly but surely as well. Mm. I, think, I think in the grand scheme of things, as much as I said earlier that, that societal attitudes have changed, it's not been that long since things have started to change. Mm. And yeah. I think we're fairly early on in this process. I'm confident... And I hope that things will continue to change and that these dialogues will continue to be a bit more open and that stigma will continue to erode over time. Um, but like I say, we're still really early on and it's occasions like this that I think go some way towards, as I say, kind of broadening that conversation and are really useful tools. Yeah, It'd be great in 10, 20 years time if you didn't have a mental health awareness week because everyone's already talking about it and it mm. is in people's mind and people do treat it like a physical health, wouldn't it? I was I was thinking about that and I, I kind of always think back to like when Pride started, just mm. for example. So that, that idea that Pride was kind of designed to help get people having some awareness of, you know, different kinds of love. Mm. And it still continues today where different kinds of love are pretty much accepted um particularly in western countries but we we carry on having pride and i'm i'm glad that we do you know even though we might need it in the same way it's still that opportunity isn't it for everybody to celebrate um difference change all of those things and, and i kind of hope that's what mental health week becomes in 10 20 30 years time it becomes an opportunity to to celebrate and continue talking um so i hope it i hope it carries on but um, more even, like parades but, but and fireworks and yeah, that's yeah. What, yeah. The, the, yeah i suppose the meaning of pride has changed because of it though hasn't it it has and it, it's become more of a, a party mm, yeah a, a celebration yeah rather than a um a kind of i don't know a protest or a, i don't know a mm. demonstration it's, yeah. be it's become a, a party hasn't it yeah and it's good i like that well as you say we're not been honest in 10 20 years that you're having that big celebration and people with lived experiences are getting up doing a bit of stand-up or having yeah. bands or raves or whatever it is yeah. and saying yeah just chip in it's okay you know saying it's okay not to be okay and boom here we am yeah 
because you were talking about like the boxing which is obviously really important to you and mm. and there's so many kind of um particularly men you know sportsmen who are coming out with yeah. coming out like uh, announcing that they've got mental health problems mm. uh, or they've had mental health problems and that's really helping you I know think. what in, i'm so proud of boxing we're, we're both boxing people me and kev and I, f I think boxing is actually one of the four running sports for doing that yeah, yeah. you could i could name five ten boxes off the top of my head who yeah. come out and said oh, i struggle with mental health oh, i've been suicidal mm. and these are the what we, we class as the toughest as the toughest that yeah, you know heavyweight champion at the moment as 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 is a mental health campaigner you know Tyson Fury yeah. yeah and it's fantastic that these people of this stature can do this it it really is yeah I think people like um, slightly different sport but cricket as well Ben Stokes becoming England Test mm. captain recently and I know. In the run-up to that that process of him being named captain, there were a lot of questions around. He's had to take time out because of his mental health. Mm. Is he the right person for this job? Can he cope? Can he cope? Mm. And then for him to to not only get that role, but then also kind of speak out about the importance of of having conversations and and saying when you're not feeling so great, I think is a really positive and powerful thing. Yeah, and I think where people get it wrong, there's a difference between mental illness or mental well-being, whatever you want to call it, and mental toughness. Yeah. Some of these people are so mentally tough because they've done it even though they're mentally poorly. It's an invisible disability. Their leg's not hanging off. They haven't got a blind cane. They're on a wheelchair. So they've been very unwell for a long time, and they've got to these dizzy heights, yeah. and that's being tough. And that's what is underestimated with so many people, you know, how mentally tough and durable we actually are, and we don't give ourselves credit for it. And but I, also, Kev, sorry, the experiences make you tougher, don't they? They, do. they, they? they enable you, if if you, say, treat them right, it's not the right word, but I can't think of another one, so I'll use that. If you treat those right, those experiences right, and you turn them into a positive, it will make you a stronger person. Or just learning from the negative. Yeah. Use it as a teaching tool. And I say to people at the club, when they're them blowing and tying, I just go, look, I don't know your life stories, but I guarantee you have been through harder things than you're doing right now. If you could have, if you have survived everything that life has pushed you, you could see the end of this training session. Yeah. That's what we have to remind ourselves. We've survived so much to be here right now, and we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. No. We're a lot tougher than we think we are. 100%. I think, yeah. I mean... To caveat, though, sadly, I think self-compassion can sometimes be a really difficult skill. Yeah. And, and I think that's a lot of, again, of what we see in terms of people who maybe feel like they can't give mm. themselves that credit for, for whatever reason. And I think it's important to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, a big, it's a big thing in therapy, you know. P people are very hard on themselves and very self-critical. Mm. Um, and that, uh, yeah, we still need to do a lot of work on that, I think. Well, Lee, should we go through a few more songs, old Paul? Not a problem. And we're back for our last 10 minutes or so. So we had Fleetwood Mac. How can you pick that one, bruv? Uh, just Rumours by Fleetwood Mac is just a brilliant album the whole way through. Mm. Um, that song resonates with me the most, I think. It's, it's just a... Just that whole album, I think, is also a, a sign of, of what you get even when there's immense pressure and tension around you and the sign that good things can still materialize from pretty awful times mm. 
And Monty Python, how come you picked that one, Lee? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we played it once or twice before on this show, and I thought, what's one more time? A bit early. (laughs) And I think that, I mean, I I love Monty Python. We agreed when we first got on the radio, we were going to finish with that every time, didn't we? I don't think there was an agreement in it. It We're going to finish with that, Lee, you better find it on there. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, on our last part now, and something I always think about, like you guys working work with mental health all the time and every as you said every week is mental health week but sometimes it's got to, some weeks have got to be easier and harder than others show yeah it's, some weeks are really really difficult you can you, you can have some really dark times i think as a therapist um obviously we're working with people who at times are incredibly unwell and really struggling um and obviously we we kind of experience things like you know, losing clients to suicide, unfortunately, that happens. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that, that's a really, a really difficult thing to, to experience and go through. We've got some good um, support systems in place. Um, and we, we have something called supervision. So all therapists have to have that. It's kind of mandated. Um, but, yeah, Ravi can tell you lots more about supervision. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a very good supervisor as well. Who, he does, who, the best. Who, who may or may not be sitting next to me. <laughs> um, but supervision is a really useful tool as well. I think it's really important to, to kind of remember that therapists are human too, right? Mm-hmm. And supervision is a really good space to sometimes not only talk about those elements of risk that sometimes face clients, but also understand your part in that process and and sometimes decompress as well um and understand your kind of reflections on what's going on as as part of that therapeutic process and and give you your own time and space to speak about that sort of thing which i think is really incredibly helpful and 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 a necessity so I'm, i'm not surprised it's kind of mandated in some way yeah I think it's weird, close to knock about with like hitting a therapist and uh, counsellors. And sometimes like, we'd be out drinking because, you know, they're human beings as well. And I'd see a client and it's like, well, you're not allowed to have a life. You're not allowed to be being silly and drunk. And, and sometimes, yeah. you, like with doctors and therapists and teachers and coaches, they forget, well, I too am a person. I too let down my hair and I too have a belly full every so often. Well, it's it's kind of going back to what I said earlier, right? Everyone has a story. Yeah. And even yeah. if it's not the person asking for money on the street, even if it's not the CEO, even if it's the, the doctor that you see in a GP surgery, yeah. there's a life there that you maybe don't, don't know about. And, mm. you know, sort of 23 other hours of a day that that person's experiencing that you have kind of no idea is... Is, is happening for them in i wonder as well how many therapists hypnotherapists you know or anyone with it involved in that kind of mental health has had trauma themselves which is why now they want to go into a profession that helps other people mm. yeah it's, it's really common i think it's it, it's very much a driving kind of force behind why a lot of us get into to that kind of work either you've experienced really good mental health support and you want to pay it back or you've had a really poor experience and you want to make that much better for somebody else um and for me i I, i'm a little bit biased because i am a, a therapist with lived experience but i think how can you kind of sit in a chair when you haven't sat in the opposite chair and had some experience of receiving the the kind of support that 
you know that you're trying to now offer um you can't understand how vulnerable people feel unless you've sat there it doesn't mean you, you can't be a good therapist if you haven't had lived experience but i do think there's a kind of power to to being able to empathize and feel it with somebody yeah well that's always been your thing hasn't it lee yeah so w- when i did talking therapies i felt like um i didn't get to know that person i didn't know their lived experience yeah. um and i found it harder because of that there was i couldn't relate to it but i couldn't relate to her because of that uh, um and i don't i don't know whether it's a good or a bad therapist because that was the first experience i had as a therapist so yeah. but yeah just for me myself i couldn't relate to that person and i found a lot i had a lot more I get a lot more out of doing things like the podcast and the radio because the people we have on tell us and speak about their experiences and I can relate to their, a lot of their, their experiences. It's a, it's a really fine line, I think, because I think if, you, if you're there as a client and your therapist is telling you all about their experiences, they, you know, they're kind of sucking away your therapy time, mm. um, then that's really not great. But equally, a little bit of appropriate self-disclosure to say actually do you know i can probably relate to that a little bit um i may have gone through kind of similar things i, I don't know what that feels like for you but i, I could mm. probably relate a little bit can be really helpful because it normalizes it and i think it it makes that person human as it well does. Then. Mm. whereas yeah. i didn't feel not that she wasn't human you know i was looking at a human across from me but it, it definitely felt more closed off because yeah. of that and you as a therapist, you know, when you've had a suicide or a really sad, sad day, week, mum, do you take your own advice? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, of course not. Very honest. <laughs> yeah, and it's, do as I say, I know what I do, because it's so yeah. hard. We know all the acronyms and... Yeah. No, it, it, it is hard to to kind of be kind to yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, that, that helps, I think, because you, you recognise that your, your clients are going to find it hard as well. Um I've I've got unhealthy coping strategies just like everybody else, you know. I will have a glass of wine when probably what I should do is go for a walk or mm. um or talk to somebody. So yeah, we're we're not perfect. <laughs> um we we just try and do our best. But do you feel like you've picked up enough tools for your journey? Do you not that that young woman trapped up in the flats now? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. I'm I'm a very far removed from that that girl. Um, but I still live with anxiety every day. I mean, coming here today was was huge, absolutely huge. Um, very, very anxious. So, but but now I, I do things despite that, mm-hmm. and I take my anxiety with me rather than kind of like leaving it at home. <laughs> and how, have you felt it overcoming anxiety? And yeah, most stuff isn't as bad as you think it's going to be anyway, is it? <laughs> it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> no, it, no, it, things are never as bad as you think they're going to be. It's the it's the kind of anticipation that yeah that that's usually the worst bit. The build up to the madness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, here we're almost there, aren't we, mate? Three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes. <laughs> I know these. Uh, they've they've got a couple of quotes. Uh, oh, is there any? How can people find talking therapies? Dudley talking therapies first. Do you want to, or do you want me to do that? I'll let you do that. So you can go online uh, if you type Dudley talking therapy service into Google or your favourite browser. We will come up. We are part of um, Dudley Integrated Health and Care Trust. 
Um, you can speak to your GP who will have leaflets and they can give you a leaflet and you can come through to us that way. Loads of referral routes. So yeah, come, come and talk to us. We're there. Um, loads of therapy options. So do our best. Is there anywhere they can find you on social media? Absolutely. Yeah, we are, um, again, under Dudley Integrated Health and Care on Facebook um, and we're on Twitter. Uh, as well we haven't got our own page we haven't got a Dudley talking therapy page but we're under um, Dudley integrated health and care and for anyone who's out there thinking I want to but I'm a bit frightened what would you tell that person I would say yeah I, I understand why you might feel like that give us a go you'll have an assessment over the phone that's the first thing that will happen we want to help that uh, kind of hold that in your mind I think the people who work for Dudley Talking Therapies want to help people. Mm -hmm. That's our agenda. You know, we're not there to judge. We're not there to kind of, um, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. We want to be accessible and help people get support. I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. You're not, you're not going to be around nasty people who are going to go and gossip you down the pub. These people have either been through the mill, they've heard about it. That's not to take away from your pain because you've got the right to be in pain. Yeah. But it's like-minded souls who hopefully can help. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pass it over to you first, Shell. We're going to quote or sayings that have helped you get through life. So the only one that I use on a regular basis is find your tribe. Mm. And I suppose what I mean by that is don't try to conform. Um, be yourself. There are other people like you. You don't have to fit in with people who don't hold your values. I think that's something to always remember, isn't it? Find your tribe. And Rav? So, okay, we've got a, we're down to the last minute now. Okay, very quick one from me then. Um, of uh, You don't have to chase all the sticks your brain throws at you. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Um, typically, when it comes to worries or something, sometimes you don't need to deal with the hassle of debating them over and over. Sometimes it's okay to just leave them. It's your brain trying to protect you. Just... But just let it do that and get on with what you need to do. Well, guys, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Guys, you can always find us here every Thursday, 7 till 9, or you can find us on our podcast, 7.30 to whenever, every Tuesday. And each week, we're either just me and the old pal chewing the fat, or we have wonderful guests on. In fact, we've got someone else coming from your department, a GP coming on this Tuesday. So please be a part of the conversation. Write in and be a part of it. Until we teach you, until we teach you next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Tararabit. Bye bye. <laughs>